You are listening to the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France. Today we're at Le Markstein Fellering. Belfort. Around lunchtime today, the Thibaut Pinot and Tadej Pogacar fans in fine voice serenading, not really serenading, but greeting their heroes as they emerged from the team buses at the start. And the day was all about Pinot and Pogacar, wasn't it? But there wasn't the fairy tale that all of France was waiting for. Local boy from just up the road in Melisse, where he lives with his little miniature farm. Road is an amateur around here, and uh, it was it was Thibaut Pinot Day. It really was, and the it fans, almost happened. It almost the happened. fairy tale almost happened, but my heart of stone warmed up. Heart of stone, can it warm up? Heart of ice warmed up. Uh, I was I was willing him to to do it, as was everybody. Yeah, every but, yeah. But it, there's no fairy tales in the Tour de France sometimes is there no no let's uh, recap stage 20 of the Tour de France it's time for the tale of the attack well there was a break of course on the way to Lamarckstein the penultimate stage of the Tour 133.5 kilometres lots of tricky climbing testing roads and of course Thibaut Pinot was in the break for Group Armour FDJ this is his home stage this is his final Tour de France brackets we think and everything was set up for the Pinot attack and it came on the Petit Ballon the penultimate climb with 31 kilometres to go initially his Group Armour FDJ teammate Valentin Madouas the French champion of course tried to go with him and it looked like it was going to be a tactical masterstroke, two of them up the road, but Madouas couldn't keep pace with Pinot, and Pinot went on his own, and at the top of that climb, he had a 31-second lead over Tom Pidcock of Ineos Grenadiers, Chris Harper of Jaco Alula, and Warren Barguil, another Frenchman kind of rolling back the years for Arkea Samsic. The Madouas group was at 107, and the yellow jersey group of Jonas Vingegaard was at 128, so it was all quite tightly compact with that final climb of the Platz of Assel still to come. Had the heebie-jeebies on the descent of the Pretty Ballon because I remember that's where Alberto Contador crashed out of the race in 2014 uh, when the stage went up to La Planche de Belfi and David Godou, Pino's teammate, also came to grief on the descent. He crashed but got back up. In fact, at the very bottom of the Platz of Assel as he swung onto the climb, Pino almost went into the barriers, didn't he? a complete dead turn for somebody who... Claimed to know the roads very well around here. He really didn't see that one coming. Did I he? thought that. Yeah, the moment. Classic Pino. You know, absolutely. Descending's never been his forte, and it was. Yeah. Uh, he was bowing out in in true to style, wasn't he? One way or the other, he was going to go out in glory, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, Pidcock and Barguil dropped Harper, and then in the group behind the yellow jersey group. We knew he would do as well. Tadej Pogacar attacked and Jonas Vingegaard marked him very quickly. They got a little bit ahead of the group that they were in, then came to a standstill. They were doing their track sprinting tactics again. And at that point, Felix Gall of AG Tour went straight past them and that formed another little chase trio. Uh, Pidcock and Barguil then bridged up to Thibaut Pino. And then Pogacar, Vingegaard and Gall 
bridged up to the front three to make six and then heartbreak for France because with just under 12 kilometres to go to the line, Thibaut Pinot was dropped and his chances of bowing out of the Tour de France in the most romantic of ways was over. It was always uh, more hope than uh, than reality, wasn't it? But it, I, I mean, watching watching those GC riders, Pogaccia and Vingegaard battle it out again, it was as if stages 16 and 17 never happened. You know, so closely matched wheel to wheel even to the point where when the two of them were left they were slowing down again which is what allowed Felix Gao to, to really take the take the initiative there wasn't it um, and I mean it, it sort of gave the breakaway a little bit more hope perhaps but in the end it was once those two was, were going it was it was only going to end one way it was and with Pino dropped suddenly Simon and Adam Yates decided to get in on the action it was Simon Yates of Jaco Alula who went first trying to ride across and Adam Yates marked him perhaps fearing the podium place I mean it would have been a tall order but probably out of duty had to mark him yeah somebody asked 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 Adam about this the other morning about the Yates competition and it was sort of tongue-in-cheek but I do wonder whether there's any intra-brother rivalry there Um, well actually Adam revealed in the press conference that Simon had asked him to do a turn and he he agreed as long and said as long as you don't flick me those two were I mean we we were noting this when we were watching them ride together they're they're remarkably similar there were points where it was like watching some kind of kaleidoscope the the way they were riding especially out of the saddle where they're totally in sync basically riding the same gearing but sort of one of them going to the left and one of them going to the right and then swapping over it was a really sort of mind-bending experience but then you do notice as well Simon much more uh, sort of low down as an ex-track rider of course three years on the GB Academy and Adam who didn't have those those years um, quite different riding styles as well it's it's I, I just i don't think you can ever grow tired of watching those two race together like that and they bridged up the two yates to make it five at the front and then we had the sprint finish and well today pagacha won the stage uh, felix gal was second and jonas vingegaard third and pagacha really kind of the gesture said as he crossed the line i'm back after a pretty hellish half a week the, probably the worst half week for Pagacha in his whole career I, to win the stage um, and end the tour on a high. Uh, you couldn't begrudge him that, really. It was really important, I think, for him. Maybe he wouldn't have admitted it uh, before today's stage, but to come back from what were a pretty harrowing two days for him and, and to come back positively and prove that he still has it. And he has it after having had such a bad day. Um, that's that's uh, yeah it will be a big relief for Pogaccio I'm sure talking of bad days Carlos Rodriguez crashed Sepp Kuss crashed they were both quite badly um, cut some bruises well a bit more than cut some bruises really quite a lot of blood especially on Sepp Kuss every now and again when you're stood at the finish line of a bike race you are reminded of the the risks of what these guys do um by those sorts of injuries especially facial injuries where there's a lot of blood coming down and neither of them looked uh, yeah it was how they uh, how they managed to put that to one side and still compete in the stage is, is remarkable um, I didn't hear from Rodriguez but Kuss was, was sort of fairly phlegmatic about it sort of um, yeah he seemed in not too bad a way but it's it's something that um, when you see it in real life it really does um, ram home that the the brutality and the extreme nature of this sport yeah there is something definitely kind of 3d about it when you see the riders 
you see them on TV and of course you know they've gone down you know that that amount of blood means that there's been some some pain but when you see see it in real life it's very I visceral why, isn't it yeah I don't know why it's so much worse but obviously you know the, the TV screen is not there as a sort of uh, you know insulator from uh, you know the reality of, of what the riders have been through one non-finisher today a shame for Victor Lafay of Cofidis stage winner way back in the Basque country of course but he will not make it to Paris tomorrow so a little bit of a reshuffle on GC actually because Simon Yates jumps above Carlos Rodriguez into fourth place and Sepkus falls three places from ninth which means that the three best Frenchmen on GC all jump up one place David Gordou into ninth Guillaume Martin into tenth and Thibaut Pinot will finish his final brackets we think Tour de France in 11th uh, the King of the Mountains competition has been decided because Giulio Ciccone was up the road early on and he took all of the early points. So he's opened up a lead of 105 points to 92 over Felix Gall. So he will win the polka dot jersey, the Lidl Trek rider. Tadej Pogacar will win the white jersey as best young rider. And as he said in the press conference, tomorrow will be my last day in the white jersey as I'm not a young kid anymore. He's really owned that, hasn't he? It's yeah. just, I can't imagine him in anything other than the white or the yellow jersey. Anyway, we will talk about the fairy tale, the dream, the heartbreak of Thibaut Pino in the next part. The Cycling Podcast is supported by MAP, the Melbourne-based cycling clothing company. They also make clothes to wear off the bike as well, so you can look great on and off the bike. And we've been hearing from one of the co-founders and co-owners of MAP, Jared Smith. G'day, this is Jared from MAP, and I'm the co-founder and the co-CEO. We're all rooting for, say, Jai Hindley or Ben O'Connor, but um, you know, having Jai win the Giro last year, that was so inspiring. I think that does get a lot of the new people into cycling too. So, oh, it's Australian win. That's so they want to get out and try it. So definitely it is a big thing. Like ideally we would love to be able to sponsor one of these guys and have them in a Mac jersey. So I think that would be the biggest takeaway. We could eventually have a team at the Tour de France. And that's a dream of Ollie's and mine that we've always had. Having a Tour de France thing would be the pinnacle of the sport for us. So, yeah, we are definitely uh, aiming for that and just a matter of timing. And when the stars align, <laughs> you have to, you know, shared values and um, really get behind the team, what they believe in, and also the sponsor, the other sponsors in that team. The day I'm, you know, at the Champs-Élysées, you know, watching our team come across the line will be a very exciting day. So, Jared, not being coy there at all, his dream is for a World Tour team to ride the Tour de France wearing matte clothing. Watch this space. It might be, well, a year or two away, perhaps. We'll have to see. But if you want to check out the full range of matte clothing, including the cycling podcast jersey, of course, go to map.cc. ask you a little bit about what it's like on the bus for Pinot Fest 23, one last time. Yeah, it's a final mountain stage in the Tour de France for him. Uh, it's at his home, like it's the roads he rides every day, so uh, it's going to be a special day for him. And uh, he doesn't show it so much, but uh, yeah, it's going to be an emotional day for him. Do you think he's nervous? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't want to imagine what it feels like. Uh, I guess a mix of emotions, uh, joy, uh, but also kind of, there's always a uh, smiling and uh, and the crying eye when you stop a career. I mean, he's made his, his uh, 
his decision and that, and it's good and he's totally fine with it but nevertheless uh, we we leave such big emotions through the sport he has had so much emotions nice ones and also uh, a little bit more complicated ones so i guess that's all in him today and he's going to process or kind of feel it through the 130 case today what's it like to to be on the same team and, as him and observe this amazing like support nobody quite connects with france like Thibaut does yeah absolutely he's the crowd favorite it's just uh, uh his personal uh, he's he's like uh down to the earth and like really yeah true to the bone is like what he says how he races it's just what he is he's not a uh, he doesn't have any facade or anything and uh this is what the people like in france and they they like him for his victories but also they like him even more for uh yeah his close misses that was the Swiss time trial specialist, Stefan Kung, teammate on Groupama FDJ of Thibaut Pino, of course, pretty much summing up the, I was going to say cult of Pino. It is almost cult-like, it does. Pino's popularity outside of France. But here in France, it's understandable. He is a, a bona fide, genuine hero. He taps into something like no other French rider. I, I spoke to Marc Madio at the start, and, and I kind of got Madio'd which, uh, you know, he can be kind of a little bit rough sometimes <laughs> with uh, English journalists especially. But pretty much one-word answers. Um, I did wonder, as we'll hear later on, um, whether that actually was some sort of coping me- mechanism with the, the emotion of the day in, in many ways. He said something along the lines of, well, there'll be another Thibaut Pino that will come along. But I didn't really believe him because... There hasn't been another Thibaut Pino while Thibaut Pino has been riding. And it's been a long time since he burst onto the scene in 2012 with that victory on Porontroy where, where Mark Maddio was the, the, the greatest gift to the panel beaters of Porontroy and yeah, you know, exactly. destroyed the FDJ key, team car. Leaning out of the car, hammering on the side, roaring yeah. his boy on uh, in his first Tour de France, wasn't it? And, and you know, it, it, it's almost... It, you get into the realms of kind of cultural sociology and, and a real deep dive into French identity don't you with Pino because you try to figure out in your mind why he resonates with France so strongly but he does and it, much more so than Arnold Demar, much more so than David Gaudu uh, or any of the other French riders on other teams there's something of a kind of I mean he's a contradiction he's he goes after something cycling success gc victory but he admits that he's not even sure he really wants it for his life he's very content at home living a life of of peace and tranquility he's he's expressive on the bike he's very emotive but he's extremely shy off it and the word that madio used when i interviewed him um, was authentic and I think that really appeals to the cycling public in France, France as a whole. Mario cho- chooses his words carefully, and, and you can read into that that there's an authenticity to Pino in an era of cycling where the authenticity of its champions has been questioned and isn't assured, um, particularly during that era of Team Sky dominance when Pino was often that kind of plucky runner-up, you know, never quite able to crack the top 10 he, he got a third of course in uh, in 2014 and, and looked very good for a podium if not a win in 2019 before he pulled out and there's that kind of sort of bathos with with Pino isn't there there's there's always 
there's always disappointment to go alongside the 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 joy and and the the beauty he's the rider who clutches disaster from the jaws of victory too often i mean you know it wasn't his fault necessarily that uh 2019 he went into the last couple of days banging contention and then hit his knee on the handlebars and not only fell away from contention but actually had to pull out of the race and i mean francois tomaso talks about bumping into him in the lift that evening at uh, the uh, Francis de Gere Hotel and just kind of commiserating and almost feeling like sort of paternal towards him. He was, he was so crushed, so, so crumpled by what had happened. And, and maybe that's because it's not the only time it's happened to him because, uh, you know, he pulled out of a Giro d'Italia right at the very end. You know, he, um, he won a stage, I think, of the 2017 Giro, the penultimate stage in the mountains. You know, he went into the time trial, you know, in third place and it was a very close race between four riders one of whom was Tom de Moulin so was never going to you know beat him in a time trial but there was just something about res- being resigned to his fate there yeah. were four horses in the race and he was going to finish fourth and there was a sort of a, a sense of tragedy about it but I mean let's not forget he wasn't even going to ride this Tour de France necessarily this year and then he did the Giro d'Italia in May and finished fifth overall you know a, a pretty surprising result and that uh, persuaded him perhaps to have another crack at the Tour de France and I do wonder whether I mean we talked about whether Mark Cavendish would do one more year mm. I'm not convinced that Thibaut Pino would do one more year uh, but in a way today is almost the perfect way to bow out he gave it absolutely it, everything he had until he had nothing more to give and there, there was a point on that final uh, sorry the penultimate climb where Pino was away Hickok and, and Bargill were chasing and, and the, the gap was staying more or less the same uh, and after the descent onto that final climb you know Tom Pickock uh, as everybody was saying best descender in the world wasn't making up a huge amount of time um, and then I thought well he could do it and then I thought well it doesn't really matter whether he wins or not the kind of the beauty of what Pino did today was that he took the result out of that assessment of whether today was a success or not what he did was was a really beautiful thing it resonated with people it connected with people and that's such it's in such a stark contrast to the kind of results driven um winning at all costs mentality and and almost sort of slightly joyless vibe you get from some teams who who don't quite experience cycling in the same way i think um yeah and it is it had everything, didn't it? It had the sight of victory so close, but ultimately he lost out to this sort of unstoppable force of modern cycling. And hats off to the and TV director because, you know, the, the French kind of, um, you know, cinematic legacy, they really played up to the imagery of Pino being out on uh, on his own and, and then the kind of the... the you know, the chase group catching him and then the moment that he got dropped, it was all broadcast absolutely perfectly for, yeah. the, for the sort of... Uh, the, the f- I, I hesitate to use the phrase French sob story, but it was, it was absolutely perfectly portrayed on the screen. You know, the, the, the moment of glory was there, everyone willing him to do it, and then we lingered on the kind of moment of collapse. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's part of the Pinot story. And so in a way, if he'd won... If he'd won a solo win, it would have kind of been a bit too good. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I'm not sure it would have hit the, the same way. But how much of this is because, I mean, Pino is a one 
team man. He's been with Francis de Gere since 2010 when he turned pro. He rode for CC Etoupe, which is a local club here, which Adam Yates rode for as well. Indeed, yeah. And uh, Mark Maddio is fiercely French. You know, he sings La Marseillaise on uh, Bastille Day, apparently, on the bus, uh, according to Francois anyway. You know, there's something about Valentin Madouas in that French champion's jersey. Again, Madio doesn't want it, even though obviously his first duty is to his sponsors, he wants that jersey to be clean and pristine and just uh, reflect the French tricolore. And they are the most French of the French teams, and Pino is the most French of the French riders, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Madio was there at the finish, and everybody had sort of rushed to that bus to to anticipate Pino in the end they gave him the most combative rider award of the day of course because uh, it's a subjective award isn't it and you know it, it wouldn't have ended right if Pino hadn't been on the podium and and had his chance to to celebrate the day sort of officially at the, at the end of the tour but Mark Maddio was there and um Barely holding it together, as as we'll hear. Est-ce que vous mesurez là ce qui ce qui se passe cette journée? C'est lourd. C'est quoi qui est lourd? C'est les souvenirs. Le, le temps qui passe. La chance de. So that was about a minute or so into uh, into Mario's interview. He he finally let let his emotion rip. You could just see the sort of the bottom lip quavering a little bit and uh, quavering, quivering, quivering. I've <laughs> <laughs> been, been out of England too long, <laughs> dreaming of snacks. Quivering a little bit. Um, he was asked, you know. How, how basically how was the day and he was like it's it was heavy you know what were you thinking about and he says you know the passing of time the time that's passed and the good fortune i have to to meet these guys who are great riders but also great people and um you know it was really like it, it was like it all kind of overwhelmed him at that point the wave had just sort of crashed over madio and, and that madio does have this paternalistic uh, way of managing FDJ doesn't he he's uh, he's like the sort of the father figure or the great uncle you know of of, of the team but also sort of as French cycling and, and and maybe of this like ideal of what cycling should be um, and he's kind of saying goodbye to one of his sons it's like his little his boy's grown up you know or he's no longer going to have these experiences again and it was he was he really seemed quite overwhelmed by it and for a for a quite a brash macho guy it was uh, it was quite touching to see for a farewell tour it's not been a bad one really has it uh, pino's been in the break half a dozen times he was sixth in belleville on beaujolais he was sixth again at saint gervais <laughs> he was up the road in the in the mix on the stage to courchevel and yeah for a brief moment he might well have pulled off a final Tour de France stage win to add to the ones that he got, as you say, Richard in Porrentois in Switzerland in 2012. He also won a stage in 2015 and one in 2019. Uh, a, an impressive career, really. A couple of stages of Welter as well, a stage of the Giro and a monument. 
Il Lombardia. Mm. I don't think we should we should also remember that Pino was one of the first riders in France, the first French riders to come into the sport with a sort of scientific modern approach to things. His brother Julien was a coach um, for FDG and I think Pino was one of the first riders to, to have trained with an SRM, a power meter, fr- pretty much from the amateur days. So that was very unusual when he, he became a pro. It was something that French riders at that point would, would start doing when they were pros, but he was scientifically minded. And, and it, as much as he's a kind of analog rider in so many ways... It's the great contradiction. It's the perfect it, yeah. contradiction, isn't it? But I also think he, he dragged that team into modern cycling in a way I mean if, if they are competitive they're not just making up the numbers at all and I think a lot of that is down to Pino and what he brought to that team the way that he was the leader for so many years um, he helped bring that team into the sort of, into the 21st century well Pino was man of the day uh, joint man of the day really the other was Tadej Pagacar the stage winner and we will talk about him in the next part the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport, our longest-serving sponsors, supporters. Go to scienceinsport.com to shop the whole Science in Sport range, everything you need for before, during and after your ride. The tour riders on Ineos Grenadiers, scrutinize every millisecond milligram and milliliter spent over 21 grueling days of racing and sis beta fuel delivers two sources of carbohydrate allowing you to achieve peak rates of exogenous carbohydrate oxidation of over 1.5 grams per minute i mean i'm sounding like an expert here richard but i can vouch for the beta fuel because it powered me around the tour de cos last year I never felt hungry, I never felt empty, I never bonked, I was, I was in good spirits the whole time. I'm the sort of person that can get a little bit hangry when uh, really? I haven't had lunch or you know, when dinner's a bit delayed. Oh. The beta fuel just kept me well fueled consistently. It was great stuff. Um, so the beta fuel was developed for the Ineos Grenadiers and it's available to everyone, even cyclists like me. I mean, I'm, I'm not all that good at cycling, but uh, it definitely helped me out because I was doing a lot of riding back-to-back days, keeping my energy levels up. So go to scienceinsport.com to check out the Beta Fuel. You can get a drink, gels, chews, everything you need for all types of riding. Stage winner, though, today Pogacar was a different man in the press conference at the finish because it feels like he's got his mojo back after a few really hard days, maybe a bit of soul-searching, head-scratching, wondering what had gone wrong on the stage to the Col de la Lose, or indeed in the time trial. So to finish the tour with a stage win and clinch the white jersey, I know for a rider of his calibre, that's a little bit of a consolation prize. But he did say that it's nice to have the colour back in my face after being white for a week, and nice to have the smile back on his face. And he says that losing two years in a row to Jonas Vingegaard has given him the hunger to come back and win the Tour again. I mean, he paid tribute to Vingegaard for the way that he'd raced, uh, but he really did kind of labour on the point that um, he had that one really horrendous day, which cost him. He was asked about Jumbo Visma's plan to try and crack him, 
and he said, well, they cracked me on the Marie Blanc stage when they were much, much better as a team, but in the end, I cracked myself. No one else cracked me, I cracked myself. Um, but to get a stage win at the end, just, uh, well, maybe erase the kind of bad memories of a couple of real difficult days on the tour for him. And I think quite a good thing for the rivalry as well, a little reminder to Vingegaard and Jumbo Visma that he's not done the, I don't know if you did you notice Lionel when when they were sprinting for the liners I mean as they have done dozens of times on this year's tour those little sprints that Vingegaard has been so closely marked, marking Pogaccia he just sort of shook his head slightly you know he was like oh <laughs> no <laughs> you know he's, yeah. and I think Vingegaard wanted that stage win didn't he I mean he's yeah. won the time trial yes but there is there was always this thing about if you win the Tour de France without winning a stage, it's a sort of a hollow victory. But winning the Tour de France with only a time trial victory, I'm not saying it's a hollow victory at all because Vingegaard has proved himself to be the strongest on uh, the climbs and in the time trials, but not to cross the line first and get the arms in the air in the yellow jersey. He would definitely have wanted that. There's, when you speak to riders who win things... Um, especially especially riders who don't win very much that they talk about that elation and, and euphoria that they get from crossing line first in a road stage you don't get that in a time trial because you don't really know how you've done um and there's no there's no sort of direct competition right there on the line but as far as that sort of self-affirming hit of endorphins and adrenaline and excitement and like telling yourself that you're doing well in this extremely hard sport and you know all of that time and energy and sacrifices which Vingegaard referred to something like 150 days per year away from his family all of that just comes over you in, in kind of one huge like moment of, of joy on the finish line and as much as it's about the prestige of, of winning the tour in a sort of a full manner like it's actually just feels really good for riders doesn't it to do that yeah, I mean, Pogacar also talked about uh, the fact that he'd had, until the crash at Liège-Bastogne-Liège, he'd had the perfect spring and he wanted to set himself these challenges. Uh, there's a contrast between Vingegaard and Pogacar in that Vingegaard had everything building towards the Tour de France. Even the objectives earlier in the season were with the Tour de France in mind. Whereas Pogacar was out racing and he makes no apology for loving racing. You know, he wanted to... Um, he wanted to win a classic, he won the Tour of Flanders, he wanted to try and win Milan San Remo, came up short there, but a very difficult, difficult race for, for him to win anyway. But he was out there racing and, you know, you got the impression from the press conference, he was asked a couple of questions about whether he would focus solely on the Tour de France next year. He, he gave a kind of non-committal answer, but you could sort of tell from his body language that he's not built to kind of focus entirely on one objective in the middle of the year he needs more than that he needs to have the kind of the thrill uh, of racing getting out there and, and challenging himself and, and doing different things he strikes me as naturally perhaps a bit more curious than than Jonas Vingegaard I think there's a curiosity in Pogacar to go to the Giro which he's never done have a crack at that you know, says, says it's his favourite race. Yeah, yeah, which is was odd hearing that, given that he's he's never been there. Yeah, you know, like well, you know, uh, 
coffee the canar is my favorite food i've never had it but you know <laughs> well, <that's laughs> i really a, like the idea a, of it that's <laughs> like, you know. for a start um <laughs> but, you know but that i think that's um that's to Pogaccio's credit isn't it you know that that he's he's excited by these ideas of doing things and and i think for Vingegaard, he was he was a bit more circumspect about whether he was going to go back next year come back to the tour but I think we know the answer. Uh, it's it's all about the tour for him. And yeah, no, I, no misunderstanding there uh, at all. I think they're built around trying to win the tour multiple times, Jumbo Visma. Exactly. I spoke to Grisha Nierman, who is the Jumbo Visma DS, uh, you know, lead DS, who people, you know, me, you'll probably recognise from the Netflix documentary. He played quite a prominent role in that. He 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 was, you know, Jonas is going to come back next year, try and win it again. You know, that's uh, he was very clear about that. Um, I did ask him whether he was uh, <laughs> sort of aware. You know, it, it illustrates the difference between what was going on in the Pino camp today and that, that little sort of tour thread versus the the Jumbo Visma thread. And um, well, I asked Grisha whether he was uh, whether they actually considered that uh, they could make themselves probably the most unpopular people in France, make Jonas the most unpopular person in France, if Jonas had been responsible for a Thibaut Pinot loss? No, because we wanted to go for the stage and, and uh, uh, in the end, I mean, it was in your uh, UAE pulling and not, not us, but uh, if, if we would have pulled, we would have also pulled for the stage and, and I think this is the Tour de France and unfortunately, I mean, it would have been a great, uh, a goodbye for Pinot to, to win the stage in his home region, but uh, it's still a Tour de France stage win, which, which is so, so important and I don't think that there was any any team out there today thinking, oh, we should all give the stage to Thibaut Pinot and I don't think Thibaut Pinot would have liked to get the stage gifted to him. I think that says everything you need to know about Jumbo Visma, really. I mean, they're cut from the sort of Team Sky, Team Ineos cloth, aren't they? Yep. Winning is what they're focused on and it is kind of cold. And this is the problem, isn't it? The Tour de France is a competition of warm characters and cold characters and often it's the cold characters who prevail because they need that sort of that steeliness, that single-mindedness, that lack of emotion in the racing. That's it, and there's almost this. Um, you, you know, I recognise the Jumbo Visma riders by who they are. They they all do look quite different. They have different traits. They have different specialities and different abilities. But the way they sort of appear at different times of the race, they sort of. I can't quite think what film it is, but it's one of those films where, like, you know, the, the good guy kind of like sees off a baddie and then like another one just springs up yeah it's like whack-a-mole in cycling kind of yeah they're sort of like there is a slight like robotic kind of kind of uh style to them um the sense that they're sort of slightly interchangeable you know if Tish Benut is on a bad day well Wilco Kelderman will do the job or Nathan Van Hoydonkel or they're doing the thing where they've got a very clear plan all through the tour like to, I mean we were probably party to that more in the Team Sky years because we were closer to the team but you would you would pick up that a certain rider was being saved for the last week exactly. and so they wouldn't do anything in the mount, in the first mountain stages and everyone would be going well oh that doesn't bode well so and so's not going well Yeah. but it, uh, Jonas Vingegaard said a couple of things that were quite interesting in the press conference for a change I mean he said 
we knew my strengths and how to get the best out of my strengths. And then he said, not everyone understood our plan every day, but we understood it ourselves and it paid off. And I think uh, he was pressed on that and he didn't give anything away, nor did he give anything away on what the plan to crack Pogacar actually was. He said, you know, you'll need to ask Grisha Neerman or Marijn Zeman for the plan and they probably won't tell you. Mm. But I do think that Jumbo Visma deserves some credit for having put together a plan and executed it. I mean, we were scratching our heads early in the tour. You know, why is Wout van Aert so active? Why are they putting riders in brakes when they don't necessarily need to? Why are they riding hard when they don't necessarily need to? Why do they vanish on one particular mountain stage and let UAE take up the slack? Well, it was because, presumably, they wanted to go hard the next day, which is which is what actually happened. So I think uh, they probably do deserve a fair bit of credit. And let's face it, Jonas Vingegaard's time trial was the difference between him and Pogacar, and that cracked Pogacar as much mentally as it did physically. And I think, you know, you sort of spend more time at certain team buses than others as a, as a reporter on, these, on, on the tour and, and at, at races. You know, we spent quite a bit of time just keeping an eye on what's going on at the Yumbo bus, you know, seeing who's around and hoping to speak to people. And you... There's there's quite a strong team bond there. There's just been a few moments on this race where I've noticed the sort of little interactions between riders uh, and and each other and members of team staff. And there was one moment at the top of the Col de la Lose where I think it was Tish Benut was doing an interview and Dylan Van Baal came over and they just kind of they had this look that they shared this look between them. There were almost no words, but it was it, you could just see that sort of transfer of like complete understanding and complete respect between each other and recognition of the job that they've done and I think it's as much as there's been this focus on on how how well Jonas Vingegaard has ridden like that team has been pretty faultless mm. even today they lost Sepkus pretty early on to that pretty you know nasty looking crash it didn't affect the outcome of the race at all no, it didn't. And I mean, Sepp Kuss is kind of like the warm heart of that team as well, isn't he? I mean, he will stop and talk to anybody about anything. And uh, well, we hope he is not suffering too badly from those injuries. Just one little thing to pick up. There's been a small contretemps between Richard Pluger of Jumbo Visma and Mark Madio of Groupama FDJ. Uh, Madio kind of, you know, casting aspersions, I guess, um, raising the question, asking the question about Jumbo Visma and Richard Pluger alleged that certain riders on a certain French team had been drinking beers on the rest day and Mark Madio, although Group Armour FTJ hadn't been named, said actually no, the riders weren't drinking beers. The staff were having a beer. Yeah. The riders were just having you know, Perrier. Water. He, Perrier. He, oh, he got in Perrier a plug for the... Uh, I don't God. think sponsors of FTJ. No, <laughs> no, not know. this year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? The, these kind of things do get kind of banded about a bit don't they the, the it's always uh, you know it's it, the rivals are not working as hard as we are is is always a kind of go-to for teams when they come under a little bit of scrutiny and a, and a little bit of pressure yeah and you do wonder how that how that goes down because cycling well, pretty bad <laughs> pretty badly well yeah mark madio you know hit back and he called it shameful he was basically like in French was sort of saying um, basically shut the up and uh, yeah he said it was shameful and it was sort of pitiful comments you know that's sort of classic Madio but cycling can be quite introspective can't it and and 
you you imagine Jumbo Visma who spend all this time looking at how can we make ourselves faster? How can we make this bike, this position, this rider faster? What about our skin suits? What about our nutrition? And then you find yourself in a company or whatever on, on the rest day and you're sort of looking at what other teams are doing. As, and, and yeah, you, you probably sort of think, maybe the maybe you have these little light bulb moments where you're like, oh yeah, okay. And and, and I, I was having a conversation about this with, with a journalist um, for Wall Street Journal. Is that right? Josh Robinson, um, who covers a lot of uh, other sports as well. And, and among them Premier League and um, something he said to me was that the, the difference between the Premier League teams between 1st and 20th is almost non-existent they're all spending the same amount of money and time on sports scientists on nutritionists and so on um, and that is not the case in cycling that is absolutely not the case no. in cycling it may look like there's becoming less uh, less of a gap between the teams in terms of the number of buses and the vehicles but that's emphatically not the case. But again, you know, wind tunnel time is expensive and the gains, while significant, it's almost like you've got to be in the very, very top echelon for it to be worth spending a lot of time and a lot of money on those extra factors which do, you know, net results. And it's I suppose that's something that UAE Team Emirates will need to look at over the next few months. And, you know, they've got to try and manage that without expecting Tadej Pogacar to have some kind of personality transplant. Anyway, one other little nugget from the press conference was that Pogacar said that he would like to do the World Championships for Slovenia. He says he does like to represent his country in the world, but he also made the comment that the World Championships this year, being in early August, is a bad moment in the season. I mean, cycling was better in the old days when the Worlds was always two or three weeks after the Tour de France and the Tour riders went into it absolutely roaring fit, knocking lumps out of each other. He said, I can't promise anything, but I would like to go. So uh, he may well be Slovenia's main man for the Worlds. We know that Mateo Mohoric, yesterday's stage winner, won't be there. But Richard, you spoke to Mohoric's teammate, Fred Wright, the British national champion, of course, about what has been a pretty extraordinary tour for Bahrain victorious. Yeah, I think... I was just reflecting on that quite extraordinary press conference um, with Mohoric and, and you can see there are videos to view of this. I mean, the press conference is pretty much it's limited to the media, but he's, he spoke at length to Seb Piquet for the sort of immediate post-stage interview as well. So I do, I do urge you to go out and find this on social media and quite easy to find the video and how Mohoric is speaking. And, you know, Bahrain have had three victories in this year's tour. Is that right? Yeah, three victories. Peo Bilbao, Wout and Matej Mohoric. And, and, you know, they came in with such a heavy burden following Gino Maida's death at the Tour de Suisse. And, well, Fred, Fred spoke about how this tour has helped them kind of deal with that, process that grief and, and leave in a much better place. Another tour almost done. I know. I can't believe it, it. Does it feel like, uh, feel like it's time to... Get to Paris and, and uh, finish things there. Yeah, I think so. You get so wrapped up in the just the routine of it. Me and Peo were talking this morning. Like, it, I mean, it seems a long time ago we were in 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 Bilbao, but at the same time, like when you're doing the same thing every day for three weeks, it sort of starts speeding up. And yeah, when the racing has been so flat out every day as well, there's not really much time to think on your on your bike, and then you just sort of 
resting and eating. So really, we've got to this point pretty quickly. That's not to say I'm not absolutely knackered, but yeah. Listening to Mate last night and the way he spoke, I mean, thinking about the way that the team came into this tour and the context of that, you know, following Gino's death this week, and now it's been a really successful tour for you. It feels like it's from the outside. Things couldn't really have gone better in terms of the, the, the ability of sport to change the mood and to change yeah, how people deal with it. No, I, th I think it's, it's, it's just been so good for the team. I mean, just seeing Mate yesterday when I came through the line, seeing him when you're already so knackered, seeing him in tears, I was, I was in bits, man. I got to the bus and I was just like, yeah, all over the place. And that's, you know, that's the third time it's happened, which is what's crazy. You know, the third time we've, we've had that, that, been able to share that experience together. And I think it's just, I can't remember what I was saying. I think it's when, when something so bad has happened, to then, you know, for for something so you know so positive to happen to us here at the tour it's, it means everyone all the staff everyone each moment we've had to share to share the victory of the, of the guys has been it's been that extra bit better than it's I've ever had in any in any race before I think yeah it's been it's been amazing really just all the toasts and all the shouting after the stage getting to the you know the amount of noise we're making in these hotels. Is, yeah, it's quite something. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just really special. Yeah. And I think I think it's it's a yeah, it's a credit to Gino's memory. I'd say. It's like yeah. And I guess the ability of the bike, not just racing, but actually the amount of time you spend riding with your thoughts, processing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. There's there's. A, Ain't half been a lot of processing recently, I think, and uh, yeah, to be to be able to come out of it with such a with such a positive experience is yeah. I think Paris is going to be. I think we're all going to be very pissed. <laughs> That's for sure. My last question is is to do with what's going to happen today because the last two stages really haven't been what we've been expecting. So, what is going to happen today? What do you expect will happen, and then what will? Well, to be honest. Personally, after racing what was basically like a one-day race, what felt like the end of Ghent Wevelgem at the end of that race, um, I don't really, know, I don't really want to think about what today's going to be like. I think everyone's, everyone's on the knees, but there's still teams that want things on this tour. So the start, this first climb is going to be, I think it's going to be ridden flat out. But I think the two big guns want want a stage win to, to finish off the tour. So I wouldn't be surprised if the likes of Van Baal and uh, maybe Solera set to just ride a tempo that, okay, they won't care about who goes in the break. The, the break will be close enough that Pogaccio and Vingegaard will be fine now for the win at the end. That's my feeling for today, but who knows? I think we're going to still try and put someone in the move and hopefully Peo can, yeah, I think he's, he can move up a place on GC today, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty tight, so yeah. Exciting, exciting stage. I don't know. I, I hope I can play some, some sort of part, but after yesterday, I think, man, yesterday, yesterday was probably the, one of the hardest days I've ever had on the bike. I think just to, to do what we were doing after 18 days was just like. Casper well, speaking afterwards was saying like he wanted to take it easy, but then yeah. it was so hard to take it easy that he basically ended up at the front and then was there what? when when, when that move kind of Well, well, I, well, I gave up fighting for the breakaway because it had gone I was like oh I haven't made this one I was really disappointed sat at the back you know contemplating what I was doing there just and they were riding such a hard pace in the bunch it was horrible and 
you know, Peo was like, come on, Nicky, come on, Fred, move, move up to the front just so it's a bit easier. And just to motivate myself to do that was like, oh, God. And then next thing you know, I was following moves and was suddenly in the, in the front. Like, you just, it's a, you know, you've always just got to keep going in these races. Just keep staying positive and who knows what's going to happen. Because, yeah, in the end, I was quite happy to be there helping Matteo. It was perfect. It's never too late for the 1101 Cappuccino. Get regular updates from the Cycling Podcast in your email inbox or the Substack app during the Tour de France. Go to thecyclingpodcast.substack.com to sign up. L'étape de demain, le dîner d'hier. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Last night's dinner was an absolute delight, wasn't it, Richard? We stumbled across a very pleasant restaurant in the centre of Arbois, and we both had chicken in brown sauce again. This time with morel mushrooms, and very nice it was too. It was it was superb. The 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 cream to potato ratio in that potato accompaniment was um, well. Oh, it was merci France. Oh, it was, <laughs> that's right. It was almost liquid, wasn't it? it you I, could pour it onto the plate from the little side bowl. I'm sure it serves some kind of dual purpose as a construction material or artistic. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you, artistic. You could grout tiles with it. I think. Yeah. I mean, it was very tasty. It, it was, was very tasty. delicious. Uh, I was at the start village this morning, just kind of mincing about in there. I mean, it's a, a taste-free zone normally. The the village department. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh. I had sturgeon this morning. Really? Yeah. I had a little uh, little canapé, yeah. rather slightly stale bread, but with a little bit of sturgeon it's on it. It's for the VIPs and the people working on the race and they're all the different sponsors have a, a set aside area the tour de france have their own double decker kind of yeah. meeting place that's where i interviewed alex Roos a few days ago christian prudhomme hangs out there and this morning normally they're pumping out terrible music sort of euro pop type stuff this morning they had a little three or four song tony bennett tribute to tony bennett the the great american singer who passed away oh, yesterday uh and it just made me think that the whole Tour de France experience could be totally different if they sort of had a bit of a, an injection of class and, a, and an injection of taste and toned down the primary colours a bit and just, I don't know, it could be so much better. We, we were discussing this the other night, weren't we, Lionel? Um, I think we were saying the, the colour of the yellow jersey is a little bit. It's a little wrong. bit off. It's the wrong yellow. I mean, we haven't got time to go into this now. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. But uh, we'll find the. We'll get out the Pantone catalogue <laughs> and uh, get the right <laughs> number will. and find Christian Prudhomme yeah. and just yeah. slip it in. I ran down the mountain to meet you. You were you'd been at the team buses and uh, I had to run three k down the mountain. So I'm very much looking forward to dinner this evening. It's uh, rural. France and rural French towns on Saturday night. It's in, in danger of becoming a bit boisterous at the adjacent table. Tomorrow's stage goes from Saint-Quentin on Yveline, a really important place because that is where the velodrome is, the Paris velodrome is. That's where all of the track cycling will be in the Olympics next year. Of course, when the Tour de France finishes down in Nice instead of in Paris. And then we will be on the Champs-Élysées. Uh, we've got a little detour to make tomorrow, but more about that in tomorrow's episode. But uh, it will be your final day on this year's Tour de France, mm. Richard. And we'll hopefully finish in style in Paris. Maybe there'll be a fifth stage win for Jasper Philipson on the Champs-Élysées. Who knows? But I think we should probably play out with a little bit more of a Thibaut Pinot tribute. So, thank you, Richard. Thanks, Lionel. Thibaut, 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 Thibaut.
The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib, and Lionel Burney.